Strange Animals Podcast. Welcome to Strange Animals Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Shaw. We haven't done a fish episode in a while, so this week, let's learn about three weird fish. Thanks to Nathan for suggesting the first two fish, the snakehead and the Greenland shark. The snakehead is a freshwater fish that gets its name because while it's an ordinary-looking fish for the most part, it has a flattened head that looks a little bit like a snake's. Different species of snakehead look different in other ways, of course, so let's examine a couple of typical species. The northern snakehead is native to Asia, but it's been introduced into other parts of the world by accident or as a food fish. It's one of the largest species with reports of some specimens growing up to 5 feet long, or 1.5 meters. It's usually no more than 3 feet long, though, or 1 meter. It's brown with darker blotches and has sharp teeth that it uses to catch fish, frogs, and other small animals. Like other snakeheads, the northern snakehead can breathe air and survive out of water for several days as long as it stays damp. Young snakeheads can even wriggle considerable distances on land to find water. It likes stagnant or slow-moving water. Because it's a fierce predator that can find its way to new waterways, introduced snakeheads are invasive species that can cause havoc to populations of native fish. The northern snakehead has been introduced into many waterways in the United States in the last 20 years as a result of people releasing unwanted aquarium fish and accidental release of snakeheads in fish farming operations. Since snakeheads reach mature age quickly, and females can lay thousands of eggs at a time, snakeheads are illegal to own in many places now, and releasing snakeheads into the wild is even more against the law. Don't do it. I'm warning you. The giant snakehead also grows up to 5 feet long, or 1.5 meters, and is from parts of Southeast Asia. Young giant snakeheads are red, but when they grow up, they're black and white with a thick black stripe down each side. It's also been introduced into a lot of places as a food fish and a game fish, but since it's a tropical species, it can't survive colder weather and isn't as invasive as a result, at least not outside of tropical and subtropical areas. The giant snakehead can be aggressive, though, especially when it's guarding its nest. Both parents act as guards of the eggs and the newly hatched babies, which follow their mother around wherever she goes. That's actually really cute, and I did not expect that from a fish. Next, let's talk about the Greenland shark. We covered it briefly in episode 74 about colossal squid and the things that eat them, but mostly we talked about its close relative, the sleeper shark. The Greenland shark is similar in some ways, but it's much bigger than the sleeper shark. It lives in the North Atlantic and Arctic Oceans, where the water is barely warmer than the freezing point, and it grows up to 24 feet long, or 7.3 meters, with females being larger than males. But despite how enormous it is, it's not a shark you need to worry about. First of all, what are you doing swimming in water that cold? Second, the Greenland shark is a slow swimmer, no more than about one and a half miles per hour, or 2.6 kilometers per hour. You can walk faster than that without even trying. 
You can probably dog paddle faster than that. And yet, the Greenland shark manages to eat seals and fish and other animals that move quickly. Since no one's actually observed a Greenland shark hunting, no one knows how they catch prey. Some researchers speculate that it sneaks up on sleeping seals and grabs them. It also eats a lot of carrion, including dead moose and reindeer and polar bears that fall into the water and drown. One shark was found with an entire reindeer in its stomach. These are big, big sharks. The Greenland shark usually spends winter in shallower water where it's warmer, but in summer it spends more time in deep water. At least one submersible observed a Greenland shark 7,200 feet below the surface of the ocean, or 2,200 meters. Occasionally, a Greenland shark travels more widely, usually in deep water where the water is cold. In 2013, one was caught by researchers in the Gulf of Mexico, which is way far away from the Arctic. It was swimming at over 5,700 feet deep, or 1,750 meters. The Greenland shark is adapted to the cold and pressure of the deep sea in many ways. Its blood contains three types of hemoglobin, which helps it absorb as much oxygen as possible from water that's poorly oxygenated to start with. Its muscles and other tissues contain high levels of urea and other compounds that increase its buoyancy, so that it doesn't need to work as hard to stay in one place. But the presence of urea in its muscles means that the Greenland shark not only tastes horrible, it's toxic to humans. In Iceland, Greenland sharks are considered a delicacy, but only after the toxins have been removed from the meat by long treatment. This includes burying it in the ground for weeks, partially fermenting it, and drying it for several months afterwards. Most people don't bother, and any commercial fishing boats that catch Greenland sharks just toss them back overboard. The Greenland shark has a very slow metabolism and grows extremely slowly, too. That's okay, though, because it lives a very long time. A very long time. The biggest Greenland sharks may be as much as 600 years old. Researchers examine the crystals and dead Greenland shark eyeballs to determine when they were hatched. And speaking of Greenland shark eyeballs, some of you know where this is going. I hope you're not eating grapes or anything like that right now. There's a type of copepod, a crustacean, that acts as a parasite of the Greenland shark and the Pacific sleeper shark, its close relative. The copepod grows to about an inch long, or 28 millimeters, and attaches itself to the shark's cornea, which is part of the eyeball. This impairs the shark's vision, but it doesn't seem to care, and it doesn't seem to have any trouble finding food. Okay, let's stop talking about that. Our third and final weird fish for this episode is a type of catfish that's sometimes kept in aquariums. It's called the upside-down catfish. There are actually a number of closely related catfish known as upside-down catfish, but the one we'll talk about today is Cynodontus batensoda. It lives in parts of Africa in marshy areas and slow-moving water. It grows to a little over a foot and a half long, or 50 centimeters, and eats plankton, algae, mollusks, insects and larvae, and crustaceans. 
But the upside-down catfish gets its name from its habit of swimming upside down. Because it's kept as an aquarium fish so often, many people assume that the upside-down swimming is something that developed because it's kept in an enclosed aquarium habitat. But that's actually not the case. The catfish used to be well-known in Egypt, and there's even an Egyptian tomb carving depicting a catfish swimming upside down, dating to the Middle Kingdom around 4,000 years ago. The upside-down catfish was often depicted in jewelry, too, including hair ornaments so beautifully made that the species of catfish can be determined. Young women in Egypt traditionally wore fish ornaments to decorate their braids. There's a story about one young woman who was helping row a king across a lake when her fish pendant fell into the water. She stopped rowing naturally, which messed up the other rowers. The king wanted to know why the boat had stopped, and when the woman explained, he offered to give her a new fish pendant. But no, she said, she wanted that one. It was hers. She loved it. Maybe someone special gave it to her. She wanted the one that was now at the bottom of the lake. But the king had a magician who said no problem, and he caused the water to fold back like a blanket, exposing the lake's bottom so the pendant could be retrieved. I didn't make that story up. It's from the Westcar Papyrus that dates to around the 17th century BCE. That is a really old story. So why does the upside-down catfish swim upside-down? Like other catfish, its mouth is angled downward so it can find food in the mud at the bottom of the water. So when it wants to grab an insect on the water's surface or eat algae off the bottom of a submerged leaf, it can only do so by turning upside-down. So that's it for this week's episode. I don't know what else to say because I'm just sitting here trying to imagine how I'd manage if someone told me I had to swim upside down, but then I can barely swim right side up. So good job, upside down catfish. Keep it up. You can find Strange Animals Podcast online at strangeanimalspodcast.blueberry.net. That's blueberry without any ease. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, email us at strangeanimalspodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash strangeanimalspodcast. If you'd like to support us and get twice-monthly bonus episodes for as little as $1 a month. There are a whole bunch of them by now because I've been doing the Patreon since April of 2017, I think. Anyway, thanks for listening. Researchers examined the crystals and dead Greenland shark eyeballs to determine when they were hatched. The shark, not the eyeballs. I mean, obviously the shark is hatched with eyeballs. The copepod grows to about an inch long, or 30 millimeters. I don't think 30 millimeters is one inch. Where's my ruler? Uh, it's under everything else. Uh, one inch. Oh, you know what? That is... Well, I mean, it's not exactly 30 millimeters. It's about 28 millimeters. I mean, that's really close.